Kosi was up here just a moment ago and she was with child. Did you notice? <laughs> with child. And I'm going to talk today a little bit about how God not only loves us but leads us. And in Psalm 139, thinking of pregnancy, you formed my inward parts, the psalmist says. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. What a declaration. What an, an opportunity for the psalmist to say, Lord, even before my life began, you put it together. In verse 16, your eyes saw even my unformed substance. I don't know if you've noticed lately, but doctors can now do a video of a child in the womb and watch it moving and going like this, <laughs> and spitting and doing all kinds of things. You saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me. So how many know that when you seek the will of God and the purpose of God and the plan of God for your life, it's always better than your plan for your life. And he's already mapped it out. And so what you do is you trust him to lead you and guide you step by step in the process. So when Chris sees his little baby, you're going to be able to lift them up before the Lord and quote Psalm 139 over that child's life and say, the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. So God's already at work getting that child ready for his purposes and his plans in the earth. Sometimes society wants to demean the call or the purpose or the plan that God has for our lives, but God will always get around to challenging us to trust him. And when we do that, we'll see that he's at work leading us and guiding us into his very best for our life. How many want the very best for your life? All right. So today, let's understand that God's always going ahead of us. If you don't hear anything else, God is going ahead of you every step of the way. Even before you came to know him, the scripture says God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's done things for us that we haven't even entered into yet but he's leading us to those things. And we learn to take steps of faith into those areas that God is leading us, and we see the purpose and the blessing unfolding. As a local church, we've been talking for a while now about becoming a resilient disciple. In other words, having intimacy with God, and out of that intimacy comes confidence in his leadership of our lives. We begin to understand that God's love is eternal, and it's in work inside of us, and it won't even be just for this lifetime, but for eternity. And practically, all of us are learning to become more intimate as we understand how 
to remove faulty belief systems religiously or culturally from our lives. We call it noise. And when there's a lots of noise going on in your head, it's pretty hard for you to walk it out. Let me give you just a little opportunity to do something right now. How many have a pen and paper with them? How many have a phone with them? How many have an iPad with them? All right, I'm going to give you 60 seconds to write down everything that's in your mind right now that you need to do. <laughs> Fill the car up, wipe the snow off, the gas. You just start writing it out. And as you do that, it isn't long before your head's empty. You don't have to remember anything anymore. And then you say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. <laughs> Write something on the tablet of my heart in this service today. And as you do it, Lord, let it be a word that moves me forward in your purposes for my life. I want you to know that God can speak one word to you and change everything about your life. One word. That's all it takes. And so, as you and I begin to understand that we shut down the noise and we turn up his voice and we allow that shift to take place in us to say, Lord, my greatest desire is to walk with you. And as we do that, we learn that God does some neat things in us. Let me ask you a simple question. How many have ever had their love for someone else rejected? Imagine what that feels like. You express your love for someone, you go first, and you take a step out, and you get rejected. Every single day, God experiences that, but he keeps on loving, and he keeps on reaching out, and he keeps ministering to us. And when we understand that he is the one that goes first, then we can trust him because we know he's leading us somewhere that is going to be in his will and in his purpose, which will bring great joy inside of us. Two scriptures we want to look at, 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. When you experience the love of God, there's an overflow to others. 1 John 3, 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another, for the brothers, for the sisters. When you know what God has done in laying his life down for you and where your life is at because of that love, you start to reflect that love into the lives of others around you. In our society, we understand that even time is centered in the person of Jesus Christ. Before Christ, Anno Domini in the year of our Lord. That split in all of history shows us the importance of this man, Jesus, and what his words meant to the generation that he was a part of and how down through history it has been divided that way ever since. Today we're going to talk about the love of God. Sadly, in the English language, there's one word for love. I love the Lord. I love my dog. Just one word. But in the Greek, when it was written, there are a number of words that demonstrate love. 
And they make it very specific. If we talk about agape, this incredible love of God that we have that's unconditional love for him and for people, especially those in our families that we love unconditionally. Then there's phileo or philea, which is friendship love. We hang out with one another. We enjoy one another's company. That's another word for love. Then there's storge, which is that incredible love just for life and for what's going on around us and for others. And then eros. Eros is passionate love. So the Greeks knew how to, when they were speaking, give clarity to what type of love they were talking about. And in the English language, not so much. So today we have to pull it apart and unpack it a little bit so that we can understand what it is. And so I mentioned Psalm 139 that even before we were born, God was at work knitting us together and letting his plan for our life start to unfold, unfold, even in how we look. The color of our hair, the color of our eyes, color of our skin. God is at work. And when you understand that you have been created in his image and in his likeness, no human being is junk in God's eyes. None. Every life is sacred. There's dignity to every human being. No matter how tattered they may look or how sophisticated they may look, God's love is a constant for humanity. He made us in his image and in his likeness. Aren't you glad you carry that imprint? You also have a thumbprint or a fingerprint that nobody else in the whole world has. That you make a unique contribution to the world that is unique just to you. So you want to make sure as you walk out the love of God, you do that knowing, Lord, from my mother's womb, you were at work in me, and you created me in your image, in your likeness. You gave me free will. I have the ability to do whatever I want to do in life. And when you are walking with God, you want to do what he wants you to do. That's just the way it works. I went to Ukraine for 10 years, twice a year. And uh, one of the guys that I traveled with was a rabbi, messianic rabbi. And he was telling the story of his father getting sick in New York City and having to call a, a local rabbi to come in and visit him. And while the rabbi was there, the sick man said, my son is a rabbi. And so the rabbi was interested. Is he a reform rabbi? Is he an orthodox? Is he a conservative? What kind of rabbi is he? And the little gentleman sitting in the bed says, my son is a messianic rabbi. And the rabbi says, we don't believe in them. And he said, rabbi, it's America. You're free to be stupid if you want to be. <laughs> there are things that go on in life where we realize what the world is saying and what the kingdom is about. And the longer you walk with Jesus, the more you see the flaws of the culture and the strength and solidity of the kingdom. Isaiah 43 is a scripture that changed my life. I'd been invited to a men's retreat. I went. 
only because the client that invited me, I didn't want to lose his account. So I went with all the wrong reasons. Even though my life was a mess, I didn't think I needed it. For sure, Joyce needed to change. <laughs> but not me, of course. I get to the retreat. I look around at the guys that are there. And in my heart, I think, what a bunch of losers. Because I am okay making a living and money in the bank and all. I'm doing well in that way, but my life's an absolute mess. My personal walk is a mess, everything. As a man, as a husband, as a father, an absolute mess. I destroyed everything. And I'm sitting there and I pick up a bookmark. Now, I'm not walking with God. I don't know him. I know about him, but I don't know him. And how many know he's already at the retreat before I get there? He's already writing my name on a bookmark long before I read it. He is out to intersect my life in such a way as that something goes off on the inside. So I pick up this bookmark from Isaiah 43.1, and someone has put my name in, and it says, Fear not. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. Barry, you are mine. Instantly, it's like a spear went through my heart in a good way. And the questions started to flow, and a softness came, and I started to listen to all the things that were being said. And guess what? You can sit and you can listen to a message and not hear anything. Because I had a lot of noise going off inside of me. I also had so much wrong with me that it was hard for me to believe that if God could do that for them, he could do something for me. A lot of people go through that. They look at their life and they think, well, Lord, I'm just, you might as well just write me off, Lord. I'm, I'm not worth anything like that. And he will never write you off. He will always pursue you. He will always be ahead of you. And he will always be leading you into his very best for your life. But he does it based on your response to him and your exercise of faith. So I'm sitting there. I'm listening to what's being said. I'm not really hearing it. And yet all of these people, these men that are talking, Inside, I say to myself, Lord, if you can do that for them, could you, could you do that for me? Could you? I'm not there to say, you need to do that for me. But it was, could you do that for me? This small gesture of a little bookmark started to change everything. That's why I said at the beginning, all it takes is one word from God. And you never know where it's going to come from. It might come in the coffee shop after the service. It might be coming when you're getting your clothes, getting ready to go outside. It might be someone beside your car wiping the snow off your car and says something to you. And God turns a knob in your heart and opens up a floodgate of his love for you. You never know where it's going to come from, but when you posture your heart to him, you know who it's coming from. Even though this 
bookmark was a small gesture. It touched my heart very, very deeply. I'm at the lowest point in my life. I can't believe in myself anything whatsoever. But as the weekend comes to an end, they say, okay, as you go from here, here's the Bible. Why don't you start reading it? How many know when you read the Bible, you get to know him? You get to know what he's thinking. You get to see what he's doing, and you get to hear the stories of God's interaction with humanity in every state of humanity. You know, this is God's Word written over 1,400 years by 40 different authors, but by one Holy Spirit showing the diversity of God's work culturally, uniquely, drawing us all to the same place, to the foot of the cross. And so I started to read the Bible. The Bible started to read me, and I started to make changes in my life. And after about a month, I got down on my knees, and I said, Lord, I think I need to get to know you because you've been kicking the crap out of me for a month. You have been destroying things in my mind that I thought were true that are absolutely false. Belief systems, patterns. You just spoke your word and change came. I want you to know, if you want to get to know God outside the Bible, you're going to have a hard time. But if you allow him to renew your mind, if you allow him to heal your emotions, if you allow him to spark your spirit, everything's going to change. That's why in the earlier years of my life as a pastor, I would always take my Bible at the beginning of a service. If you have your Bible, just put it on your chest, your phone on your chest, <laughs> your hand on your chest. And I would say this, Lord, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. And I can do what it says I could do. And I'm ready today to receive into my life the ever-living, everlasting, incorruptible seed called the Word of God. Holy Spirit, speak to my heart. And whatever was happening that day, just like today, Holy Spirit, speak to my heart about the love of God leading my life and change my life that I might experience your love in a way that I've never experienced before. In Jesus' name, amen. So how many know when you open God's word and you start to read it, in fact, I'm going to open up to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. As you're reading the scriptures, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride in possessions, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. How's that for a clear word? So when you're wrestling with things and you read something like that, Holy Spirit will say, then just read on. And the world is passing away. 
If you invest in the world, if you put everything you have into that which is temporary, you're a fool because it's passing away. But you have free will and you can do that. But the reality is the love of God is going to work in you and he's going to change things going on in your heart where your desires for the things of the world become less and your desires for the things of the kingdom become more. And it says, the world is passing away along with its desires. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. How many believe Jesus died on a cross? How many believe he was buried in a tomb? He was really dead. But on the third day he rose. And nothing can stop resurrection life when it's at work inside of you. If it happened for Jesus, it will happen for you and I. And he rose from the dead, and he lives now a life of the incorruptibleness of God, and it will go on forever and forever. And if you invest in that, you're really wise. But if you invest in that which is temporal, then you're foolish. And Jesus talks about that. Building your house on rock or building your house on sand. So it's the love of God that's leading us day by day to make choices and decisions that affect eternity. And when I read that scripture, eternity was stamped in my eyes. And I run my decisions now through eternity. I run my decisions through is that in keeping with the revealed will of God? Is that in keeping with his purpose and plan for my life? Is that in keeping with the goal? You know, when guys play hockey, there's a net at both ends, and what's the goal? To get the puck in the net. If they got on the ice and had no idea what the puck was for, it would be a waste of time. When you watch the Super Bowl, they see at the end of each part of the field, there's a line to cross with a ball under your arm, and whoever does that and gets the most points wins. Well, when you have eternity before you, the goal is always clear. So when you're making decisions, you're doing that because the love of God is leading you, even though you don't fully understand every step you're taking, but his love is leading you, and you take steps of faith, and you see the reward that it brings. So everything in you says, I want to keep the goal right before me. That's exactly what Jesus is. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. And it's because the love of the Father was moving him to become the Savior of the whole world, that he would have to go to the cross. Sometimes I hear it said, and I understand what they're saying, but if there was only one person in the world, Jesus would have went to the cross. Yes, he loves us. But what motivated him to go to the cross was his love for the Father, which included the cross. The Christian life is not always easy. The Christian life contains suffering and hardship and all kinds of things that we go through. But when you know what the goal is and you keep working towards that, Holy Spirit keeps directing your steps. And you keep enjoying the joy of the Lord, your strength from within. 
It doesn't come from without. It comes from within. God at work in your heart and in your life. And so we know in history that God always goes before us. When you sit down to pray, do you think God's already there? Or is he surprised? Oh, my goodness, you showed up to pray. You caught me off guard. No, I don't think so. Is God present every time you open his word and you begin to read it? Well, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And as you begin to read God's word, it becomes flesh inside of you and starts to change you. Remember the disciples on the road to Emmaus? As Jesus was giving them a Bible study from beginning to end, they said our hearts were on fire. They were burning within us. What is that? It's a love of God, just loving out all the hurt, all the brokenness, all the fear, all the uncertainty, and depositing faith. Do you think God's present when you take steps of faith? Some of you that do not know him, either online or in here, if you take that one step, I want you to know he's already there. He's waiting for you. He seeks to embrace you and draw you to himself. In the Old Testament, there was a cloud, of, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And the lesson is it's a pattern that wherever we are, he's leading. He's out ahead of us. He's preparing the way. And so he promises in Hebrews, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So you have this absolute assurance. If you live out of your feelings, then you're not going to trust his word. But when you trust his word, he corrects your feelings. And then you say things like, ha, throw me in the fiery furnace. If I burn, I burn. But as soon as you step into the fiery furnace, there's someone there with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. That's the history of the church. God's men and women who said, Jesus, no matter what, I have to go through in this life. Eternity is worth it. Being in your kingdom is worth it. Acts 17 says, he's not far from each one of us. In him we live and move and have our being. What a wonderful truth for us to be able to realize that in the midst of our struggles, when we feel unsettled, when something's shifting in our hearts and in our lives, we have this solid rock that we stand on and a God who cares for us and a God who loves us. How many are between the ages of 18 and 29? Just throw your hands up so I can see you. 18 to 20, all in the front row, eh? Hmm. Good place for you guys to be. Many of that age group are crushed by thinking that their walk in God rests on their shoulders rather than on the finished work of the cross. You know, sometimes we think we have to do so many things, and it's not a matter of have to, it's a joy of we get to. And so these young people were struggling when they did Barna's survey that they didn't see Jesus impacting their day-to-day -day life. They lost sight of the sovereignty of God. Just as he knit us together in our mother's womb, he organizes and directs our steps every single day. But they lost sight of that. They lost sight of the fact that Jesus 
shapes our entire life. Not just our Sunday morning life, our entire life. And so they felt that direction in their life was off. The more you align yourself to him, the smoother the direction is. And then here's one that I have seen over and over and over as a pastor, and it continues to break my heart. When you struggle in your faith, and you think it's up to you, and you've got to pray, and you've got to read the Word, and you've got to go to church, and you've got to do all of these things, and you live out of, I should do, I should do, I'd, and after a while, it gets heavy. It's like if I asked you to hold up a bottle of water, just like this, it wouldn't weigh very much right now, but by the end of the service, you'd say, could I put this down now? In all of our lives, there are little things that we carry on the inside, and it isn't long before they get heavier and heavier and heavier, and they weigh us down. Some people, they end up saying, this walk with Christ is too hard. There's too much that I got, too, too many shoulds that I've got to be doing instead of the joy of I get to do. And it isn't long then before something or someone takes them out. Who compares to Jesus? What compares to Jesus? You know, I've been a pastor a long time. Been a lot of water under the bridge. I've been betrayed, I've been rejected, I've been, oh, I even had a guy put a knife to my throat. And in all of that, and all the clutter of other leaders who've been saying things to me that, well, we're not doing this, we're not doing, and it just comes as a deluge sometimes. I've always stood in the middle of it and said, ha, ha, he knows me by name. My name is Barry, and I'm a servant of Jesus. And what has he ever done but bless me? encourage me, strengthen me, help me, guide me. He's always been there for me. No matter what I've gone through, has it always been happy time? No. But he's been consistent. And when I see people get waylaid by something or someone, I always think, Lord, how could that possibly compare to your beauty and all that you've done to make eternity possible for our lives. Why would you walk away from him and choose something so temporary as a someone or a something? Jesus will end up, in that case, merely being a way, not the way for your life. I hear people say it all the time. I can sin all day and I'll just ask God to forgive me at night. I understand what they're saying, but it doesn't work that way. If you really love him, he says, do my commands. Walk with me in intimacy. You know, sometimes as believers, we say to ourselves, Jesus, I want you to lead my life. I want to trust you and I want to know that you're out there leading me so I can be at rest. Those are the believers that make it to the finish line in pretty good shape. 
Then there are other believers who look at Christianity as, ah, so many things I've got to do to be a Christian, and I don't know if I want to do it. It's just too hard. And after a while, they think their Christianity rests on them. Remember I said, when you pray, he's already there. When you open the Bible, he's already there. Whatever you're going through, he's already there. And he's on the other side of it as well. So when you say, Lord, just keep leading and guiding, he will do that, but you'll feel rest. It's one of the lessons I learned pastoring this church over the years. Someone said, how do you pastor this without getting burnt out? (laughs) I said, I listen to the voice of God. I listen for rest. I function out of, Lord, what do you want me to do? Do you know God has something special for each of you because he woke me up at 4.30 this morning. Waking me up at 4.30 is almost impossible. (laughs) I mean impossible. But with God, all things are possible. He woke me up at 4.30, I looked at the clock, and I went, you're kidding. (laughs) And then I felt the nudge. Pray for everyone online today. Pray for everyone who's in the service today. Pray that they experience my love. Pray that they understand I'm ahead of them, and I'm leading them, and I go first, and I'm making a way for each of their lives. Pray that they'll trust me with that. And so I did. And 1 Corinthians 10 says, in that leadership, knowing the love of God, knowing the forgiveness of God, knowing the mercy of God, knowing the kindness of God, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So whatever you're going through, is it for the glory of God? And if it is, then you'll be practicing his presence every single day, and the joy of the Lord's going to build you up. And as it builds you up, you're going to be strengthened for the road that is ahead of you. I'm going to finish with a couple of scriptures. We live in an age of pronouns. Have you noticed that? It's a crazy age of pronouns. Well, I'm going to give you two pronouns that if you have to put them on your letterhead, it's he dash our. Oh, you are. He and our. And it comes from Isaiah 53, and it describes the love of God at work long before you and I embrace the finished work. It says this in verses 4 through 6. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you know that was penned hundreds of years ago, long before you and I were born? 
And God has already done that in Christ and brought it to fulfillment. And so when you and I know that, we can rest in being everything he's called us to be, or we can get caught in doing and thinking it all rests on our own shoulders to do. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. God always goes first. So today, let's ask the Lord to break a false belief that faith rests on us to do when it really rests on him for what he's already done. Because when you think about Christianity, it is not about what we do. It's what's already been done for us in Christ. Jesus said, come to me. All you who labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. So when you start walking out the doors in a few minutes and you're heading home, I want you just to rehearse it in your heart that Jesus promised that if I would come to him, he would take the heavy burden off my shoulder of me trying to do this. And he would give me rest in the truth that he is leading because he loves me. And the love of God is his gift to my life. And I get to enjoy it and I get to walk it out every single day.